Take that! This is Hunting Humbug 101 with me, Theo Clark. This is a rebroadcast of an original episode first recorded with my father, Jeff Clark. Welcome to Hunting Humbug 101 with me, Theo Clark, and I'm joined, as usual, with my father, Jeff Clark. G'day, Dad. How are you? I'm well, thanks, Theo. And in the podcast, we are going to be looking at the fallacy called factoid propagation. So let's not wait any longer. Let's get to it. Okay, factoid propagation, We the other terms we have come across for this, um, truisms, enshrined myths, false assumptions, taken for granted propositions. And the description we give, the advocate advances or states a mere proposition as though it is either A, an objectively established fact, or B, so taken for granted by reasonable people that it is beyond question. A key characteristic of a factoid is that it is so commonly assumed to be true that it becomes, quote, the truth, unquote, when it is not actually established as true. The Oxford English English Dictionary defines a factoid as unreliable information which is repeated so often that it becomes accepted as fact. Example. Dorothy Compost and Cherie Coachbolt are sitting companionably over coffee at a cafe on Sunday morning. Dorothy reads aloud from a newspaper article. Teams of trauma counsellors are volunteering to leave immediately for the Antarctic to counsel survivors of yesterday's rabid penguin attack, which resulted in the deaths of 12 patrons of a Bath Burger restaurant. The government has not yet agreed to fund the necessary charter flight. Cherie says in response, I'm not surprised they won't fund the charter. Wouldn't it be better to spend the money on, on reuniting survivors with their families? Dorothy bridles and retorts. That's so insensitive. Everyone knows that post-traumatic stress disorder will be much worse and much more prolonged if victims aren't counselled immediately after the event by trained professionals. Comment. Post-trauma counselling where victims are encouraged to talk about their feelings after a distressing event is a clear example of a runaway factoid. The practice and belief has become widespread and commonly accepted in the absence of compelling evidence. There is evidence for both for and against the practice, but the preponderance of recent evidence suggests that for many individuals, post-trauma counselling, as it is currently practised, may be exactly the wrong thing to do. The doctrine of post-trauma counselling is largely a cultural construct. An historical accident, rather than a procedure, which has grown out of a sound body of research evidence, In the example given, Dorothy could point out to Cherie that the notion of reliving trauma through dwelling on the event and talking about it seems counterintuitive. She might venture an opinion that the idea of bringing out repressed trauma is based on discredited psychoanalytic dogma rather than evidence. Dorothy could further point out that mental health is more likely to be underpinned by resilience the capacity to bounce back and move on from trauma rather than dwelling on it. Dorothy's claim that everyone knows is the element of her claim that invites a direct challenge 
and enthusiastic debunking. The sceptic with iconoclastic tendencies is particularly attracted to factoids. Myths masquerading as facts often assume iconic or even sacrosanct status, and debunking enshrined myths can be an exhilarating blood sport, a highly entertaining activity in itself, whatever the topic or subject area. Some domains of activity or types of publications are a treasure trove of factoids ripe for debunking. These include desperately oversold curriculum innovations or educational practices, any best-selling book on health or well-being, any book by a crusading historian, anthropologist or cultural guru, any book by or about a lame, look at me everybody, public figure. Okay, so that was reading of factoid propagation from our book. And the first example we're going to look at, I think, sums up um, one of the ultimate factoids that got around there. But they are essentially, when someone makes a claim that, you know, you've heard probably before and you think that sounds reasonable, that's true, it's just one of those common uh, wisdoms that you get, sometimes you might catch someone and go, actually, do I, do I really know where that's come from? How can I be sure that, that claim is true? Is that too good to be true? Is it too funny to be true? That kind of thing. And so if you don't know the basis of where that came from, then you'd be fairly reasonable to be a little bit suspicious of it. And now in the days of Google, um, you've got almost no excuse for not checking it out if it's something you actually really care about. Uh, so, yeah, the factoids can be quite um, prevalent in society and sometimes they're fun, so it doesn't really matter. But but uh, if you're you know a truth seeker, then you generally want to know if, if they are true or not. So of course, one of my favourite uh, factoids that I've ever come across was the one about uh, the woman who burnt herself with hot coffee from McDonald's and sued them for you know millions and billions of dollars. Uh, and her name was Stella something or other. I can't remember her surname off the top of my head. And they actually named um, what's called the Stella Awards after her. And you've probably gotten this email before where you get an email about all these stupid, frivolous lawsuits and how bad is the tort system in the U- in the U.S. Uh, and so on. And you, and you look at all these horrible stories. Um, and of course, if you just check um, out Snopes.com or what or Urban Legends, you'll see that these actually aren't true. So some of the ones um, that I got on an email, and I'll put the link up from Snopes, uh, is uh, about this woman who was awarded, you know, apparently quarter three quarters of a million dollars by a jury because she broke her, broke her ankle tripping over a toddler who was running around inside a furniture store. Of course, it was her own toddler she was running around that she tripped over, and she was awarded this money. There was um, a guy that you know won seventy or eighty hundred thousand uh, dollars because his neighbour ran over his hand in his car. Of course, it was the, because he was trying to steal hubcaps off the car. So you've heard of all these kinds of ones. The classic one being um, is one of the first ones I ever came across. I think I even came across it. Uh, when I was you know, ten, over 10 years ago, was about the um, the guy that purchased the Winnebago motorhome and then on his first trip he decided to, he wanted to go out to the back and make himself a cup of coffee so he put it on cruise control and then just went back and got him a cup of coffee and then of course crashed the car and sued successfully. And of course none of those ones I just gave you are true. They're amusing but none of them are true. I, th- I think the one with the uh, Winnebago, Winnebago and the cruise control I think it. I distinctly remember seeing a doc, documentary on that, and I think it was true. It was some. Um, it's one of these Simpsons documentaries, and I remember the owner of the Winnebago was Ned Flanders, 
and Homer went back and had a shower while he put the cruise control on. And it really went along the road for quite some time before there was a catastrophe. So I think, I think um, while I accept what you're saying, Theo, I think uh, we must take notice of what it says on television. And The Simpsons, for me, is the benchmark of truth on all matters. Oh, and well, then, seeing as we're on to The Simpsons, uh, one of the other ones you get in the email, you used to get in the email, uh, was about the woman who wanted to dry her dog after um, she'd been washed it and so she put it in her microwave uh, and of course then cooked it uh, and that reminds me of the Simpsons where Homer gets, goes into the kitchen with the walk-in microwave when he wants to microwave his popcorn <laughs> anyway what a surprise we started talking about the Simpsons again we've never done that in this podcast before that's where we get all our ideas from let's go back to the original one the original one is about um, you know this woman who you know supposedly was driving her car trying to drink McDonald's coffee spilled it on herself and then sued them successfully uh, for the coffee, for spilling the coffee and, you know, for them being negligent, blah, blah, blah. Now, like a lot of factoids, there is a grain of truth in that. That is a real lawsuit. It really did happen. But when you hear the details of actually what did happen, not the, the kind of ones that are the shock horror, how, what a stupid country we live in type example, the actual real facts of the matter is, as far as I can tell, she did deserve the money. Uh, but, you know, we'll let you make up your own mind. And I'll put a link to the uh, website that gives you the real details of the case. But I also found um, this uh, clip uh, called Legal Minute um, on YouTube. And uh, it, it's some dude who does something. I don't know, maybe our listeners might know about it. But he basically spends a minute and he actually explains um, the Stellar Awards. So we'll have a listen to that clip right now. Do you remember that fast food scalding coffee case? You know, the one involving the woman who spilled hot coffee in her lap and got millions? The one that proved our legal system was totally broken? Let me tell you a little bit more about that case. The lady's name was Stella Liebeck, a grandmother from Albuquerque. She received third-degree burns over 6% of her body, had skin grafts, spent eight days in the hospital, and it's been reported that she offered to settle the case for just $20,000. The company refused this outrageous demand, so the jury got to hear about dangerously superheated coffee and hundreds of other scalding coffee claims. For what it's worth, Mrs. Liebeck only received a fraction of the millions reported. So the good news is our legal system isn't broken. The bad news is our way of reporting the truth might be. What do you think? Tell me at 421help.com. In the mood for hot coffee? When you are, nothing else will satisfy. Coffee has a flavor, an aroma, a deep-down satisfying goodness all its own. And our coffee has something extra, the care with which we brew and serve it. You'll enjoy the show more while you're enjoying steaming hot coffee. Come and get yours now. Yeah, I think the really good thing I like about that, as he said, is our legal system broke. No, but what about our way of reporting stuff? And I think that sums it up because the other factoid we're going to look at later on is the autism MMR factoid. And again, that's a purely a case of crappy reporting, not crappy science. Well, there's crappy science too, but overall the science is good. But the bad reporting is a real issue. Um, they're reporting to try and make a story out of nothing. And that's where these factoids often get all their air from. The other thing that um, is worth noting is that factoids often replace other factoids and, and the reverse information. 
uh, comes out and is commonly believed. And it, currently, at, at the moment, um, there's a lot of uh, discussion between researchers on alcohol and its effect on uh, the human body. And there's for a long time there's been a, a factoid around that uh, a couple of glasses of red wine uh, with a meal, say, in the evening, is protective against heart disease and uh, some other diseases as well. Now, this has been found in some studies but not in others. And more recently, another group have come out and have said that um, even one glass of wine a day can increase the probability of uh, bowel cancer or throat cancer uh, by some, something like doubling the probability of those cancers. Now, if if some of these claims that originate from a scientific or, uh, from a scientific finding get out there and are repeated by media organisations without um, the qualifications and uh, without noting the limitations of the studies, they can become factoids. So what I, what I tend to do is I, I just look at all the research I can find on my favourite foods and beverages and just only take note of those that are very much in favour of them. And in fact, in terms of coffee, the good news is this, that you can find hundreds of research articles, some good, some bad, indifferent, which support the wonderfulness of coffee in terms of... Um, antioxidants in terms of delaying or completely eliminating senility and those sort of things. And it's best to avert your eyes from those research papers that show that coffee is a problem in terms of heart disease. So I'm sticking to the coffee and I'm feeling good. I found uh, many similar articles on the same kind of vein but about crack cocaine, so it's working for me as well. Okay, so, uh, yeah, I mean, we're going to come to another example of it in a minute, but we're going to use it uh, after we've had a look at um, Spot That Fallacy from our last podcast about from Jenny Barnett, because the factoid, as I mentioned earlier, is a, the whole MMR uh, vaccine autism scare. So what we're going to do now is we're going to go through a couple of the obvious uh, fallacies from the Jenny Barnett clip that we played in the last podcast, and eventually we'll get up to one of the... We'll talk about the factoid from Andrew Wakefield. I have... My first thought is... I'm an independent individual human being. I have uh, raised a biological child and two logical children. Sometimes their responses to things were worse than others. Sometimes children around them had a response that was worse than mine, than my kids. The fact is the notion that we're all the same and that you have to be inoculating children with this MMR jab Yeah, so she says there the notion that we're all the same. Now, that to me is just an obvious uh, straw man and a factoid propagation in that, well, who, first of all, who says that? Who says we're all the same? I don't think any researchers with vaccines would say we're all the same. What they'd say is we don't have the ability to uh, personalise medicines yet. One day we probably will. That's what people are working on. So what you do is you make a medicine that works for the general population it won't work perfectly for everybody, but it misses the point. The whole point of vaccines is to get to you know that 90, 95% vaccination rate, and then you get the herd immunity. Now, what people don't understand with that, the whole point of that is to eliminate that actual um, virus or whatnot out of the population, because even if you are immunised, you still can actually get 
that uh, illness that you've been immunised against. So the point is to just remove the, the spread of that disease and you won't be able to get it. Um, so, yeah, it, the whole idea that that's what people think is a bit of a straw man argument. The thing that stood out for me um, from that little segment of her polemic was the use of a weasel word. Uh, think about it for a moment um, and think back on the commentary and think about a weasel word there. Um, I won't, I'll only give you a second, but um, she calls the vaccination a jab. So she says an MMR jab. Now, as soon as you use a word like jab, it, it has pejorative connotations. It has connotations of violence. Um, and in, in using that kind of a word, you are deliberately kind of trying to um, create an emotional intensity around the issue. And, uh, you know, there are all these doctors out there jabbing children, uh, and that's not too far away from um, assault when it's put that way. This debate is going to go on forever and ever, and always at the back of it, in my head, is, hold on a minute, there's a drug company that's making lots of money out of it. Well, the obvious comment, and I hear this comment over and over again from similar sources, um, is that uh, if drug companies aren't making money, then they're not doing their job, and drug companies that don't make money uh, and that go bankrupt are committing an atrocity on their shareholders and also the people that use the drugs that they supply and can no longer supply. So the, the fact of a drug company making money is part of the function of such a company. Um, this um, could, could be seen as impugning motives, but also there's an element of poisoning the well there because the drug companies are no doubt defending their vaccine. And if you can say, well, they would say that, wouldn't they? Um, that's really um, uh, poisoning the well and saying any information from drug companies is tainted and the only information that's pure is from our side of the debate. Uh, but it's certainly impugning motives as, as a direct fallacy as the most uh, identifiable fallacy in that commentary. Uh, banishing measles from Europe by 2010 may have been dashed by poor vaccination rates in a handful of countries. You cannot have your cake and eat it. You cannot be putting rubbish and carp in food endlessly and looking at the rise of asthma and not a, a, an obesity and then turn around and say, look, what, look what's happening with measles. You have to approach the whole thing at the health of our children and the health of our society. There. I mean, essentially, she's trying to have it both ways by, you know, she's saying that, oh, you've got to approach the whole thing from the health of our society and the health of our children. That's exactly what they're doing. That's not what she's doing. They're basing their decisions on evidence. But essentially what she's done there, by throwing in stuff about the carp, which I assume has got something to do with genetic engineering, rise in asthma, obesity, and lumping them all together, they're just simple non-secateurs and red herrings. So complete red herrings off the topic and just throwing them out there. Um, and then just complete outright falsehoods. I mean, trying to say that all these things are linked to our modern uh, kind of epidemiology and medicine is the complete opposite. There might be a modern lifestyle, but it's science and evidence that will help us find out how to fight these things best, not what she's trying to imply. Uh, so... 
it, it, you know, I was left speechless when I heard that bit. It was just such an obvious rant, and you can almost, you can vaguely hear the. There's a, there's a couple of points in it from listening to it again where you can actually hear her kind of stop and think, oh, hang on, I'm not going anywhere with this thought, so I'm just going to randomly change into another thought now. And that seems to be her whole modus operandi. Not having heard anything else she's ever talked about, I don't know, but certainly on that uh, take, that's all I got from that. Uh, the other, I just want to add something quickly to her etymology and her knowledge of the English language is appalling because she uses the phrase you can't have your cake and eat it too, and everyone knows that, that the phrase is actually you can't have your kayak and eat it too, and it came from the situation where um, Eskimos were trying to build small fires in their kayaks to keep them warm during winter hunts, and the fire burned a hole in the boat, and that's where the phrase actually came from. You made that up, didn't you? <laughs> no, no, it's true. <laughs> you bullshit artist. <laughs> Let's spread another factoid. Now, back in the day, and that's an expression I've learned from my nearest dam, it's some. Back in the day, children got measles, children got mumps. I'm not suggesting, I am not suggesting that we go backwards where some children, um, you know, where we have one in 15 children die of it. And that one person in 15 is the one that we have to be looking at and wondering why and, and dealing with it. But if... As a human being, you decide that you do not want to give your child a vaccination. You should, in a democracy, have that right to say no. All right, so a couple of things to think about there is, first of all, you know, back in the day when children got measles, she's not suggesting to go back to that. But as you'll hear later on, that's exactly what she says. She says, what's wrong with 1 in 15 people getting measles? What's wrong with getting mumps? So she doesn't even know what's wrong with these diseases, and she's commenting on them. Then she says, uh, which is what I talked about as a hint in the last um, podcast, she says, you know, if as a human being you decide in a democracy you have the right to say no, blah, 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 blah. This is where you can use the technique of substitution to show exactly why she's wrong. For example... If you substitute in the word instead of um, vaccination, smoking crack cocaine, or not wearing seatbelts, or producing child pornography, or defecating in a garden on the side of the road, or giving yourself hand relief whilst viewing a shop store mannequin, then... <laughs> That's another, another hat to, to Borat as well, if you haven't seen Borat. You know, you substitute any of those... I was trying to say that seriously, <laughs> I almost did it. <laughs> If you substitute any of those things in there, why why can't we do that in a democracy, okay? And and in, all, in seriousness, you know, like all the secondhand smoke laws we have now, you know, what's my right to smoke? Well, it's my right to not be put at risk, my health, because of your actions. And so when people choose not to vaccinate, they're actually putting other people's health at risk because even if you have been vaccinated, you can still get sick. The whole point of vaccination is not just to stop you from getting that illness if you did come in contact with it, but from eliminating that illness from the population in the first place. So it doesn't work like that. Democracies aren't a free-for-all where anything goes. It's about having sometimes, you know, representative democracy is about you voting political parties that govern the way you would like them to govern, but it's not just I get to choose whatever I want all the time. So simply, uh, a simple case of substitution shows how absurd that comment is. Uh, just reinforcing what Theo was saying, the other point to make about that is that um, uh, parents don't own their children, and in common law, at least in Australia, as I understand it, um, even such things as a, as a permission note written by a parent to a teacher to allow a child to attend an excursion if something happens to the child on that excursion, the child 
when they come of age, which is 18 in Australia, uh, can sue the school and their own parent because the permission note is not worth the paper it's written on. In other words, you can't make an undertaking on behalf of someone else. So if you refuse your child vaccination on the basis of some ideology you have and the child gets ill and there are complications later on, when that child turns 18, the child can actually sue the parent for making that decision because the doctrine is the child has their own rights and, those, and the child is not owned by the parents. So I didn't actually know about that. Uh, and now I can think of a few excursions. You made me go on, you bastard. <laughs> I feel a lawsuit coming on. Ah, <laughs> uh, you got no money, it's not worth it. There are some children, whether you like it or whether you don't, who have a response to that triple jabbing that is not good for them. We have evidence, however much people say we don't. Okay, so we have evidence. Now here is, another, here is the factoid about MMR. No, we don't have evidence. That's demonstrably false. There is no actual decent scientific evidence. All there is is the whole uh, false correlation that we've talked about before um, in our podcast on Jenny McCarthy. Uh, the Andrew Wakefield, who did the paper on MMR, is now completely and utterly discredited. Uh, he's shown to be a fraud. All the other authors of that paper have taken their name off it, saying it's a flawed paper. But they did, when they put it out, they didn't realise the uh, the result that it would have because Wakefield was a self-publicist. Uh, and so, yeah, it's completely discredited. And now that is a factoid that's out there in the world that, you know, MMR vaccine causes autism. It's a complete utter factoid. There is no verifiable, reasonable evidence. All the evidence is that uh, vaccine is completely safe uh, and certainly has nothing to do with autism. It's just a correlation. That's all it is. My daughter was one of them. She was very asthmatic as a child. She could not have received that triple vaccine. She couldn't have done it. So I made a calculated decision that I didn't want to go there. And it isn't a decision that's made easily. It's a lonely decision. If you're not part of the herd, if you're not mooing with the other cows or barring with the other sheep, if you're wanting to stand alone, it's a very lonely business standing under a tree in a field all on your own saying, I don't want to do that. Yeah, I, I, it's interesting, as soon as you use um, expressions like stand, standing with the herd and booing and marring and uh, barring and so on, um, you can think up uh, better metaphors. I, I, I see a field of cows in front of me now as I speak, and there are some cows that are lying on their backs with their feet in the air, um, nuzzling other cows on the inappropriate parts of the anatomy. There are other cows in large herds that are grazing and putting on weight and looking healthy and uh, thinking about, well, actually, I think, deep thoughts about the universe, life and everything else. And I can see um, our protagonist here as belonging to a herd, but a smaller herd, a herd of delusional people who don't um, um, have the intellectual equipment to actually engage with the issue properly and seriously. And so she is very comfortable as part of a herd. It's a smaller herd, and she characterises the vast majority of the population 
as an unthinking herd. So she's been completely sanctimonious in the way she talks about it. I'm, I'm better than you because I stand outside with the, the herd. And by calling them the herd, she's using a weasel word by calling us normal people who go with the flow or rather go with what the people who have expertise tell us to do, um, which is not to say you follow expertise blindly. But nevertheless, who's in a better position to know? Uh, it's going to probably be the doctors and the researchers. Uh, so, yeah, that's a weasel words by doing that. Okay, so have a listen to this last little bit now. Um, well, maybe. Maybe there's all, all sorts of other figures that have been withheld from us. And I don't know what they are because they've been withheld. I want to know from some kind of expert what measles is and what is in the vaccine and why people have a reaction to it. And really my question is, what is wrong with childhood illnesses? Is there something wrong with having mumps? Is there something that, you know, most people aren't that one in 15. Okay, that bit I just love. It's just this whole paranoid conspiracy thinking, well, I don't know what it is. It's been withheld, but there's got to be something out there. Well, I can understand how people think that in a way because I can see how you cannot trust big corporations and whatnot after, you know, what happened with tobacco, big tobacco and all that kind of stuff, um, withholding information about, you know, the fact that nicotine was addictive and that they knew that it caused cancer, that kind of stuff. But we had evidence of that occurring. And moreover, we have evidence of the exact opposite occurring with the vaccine manufacturers and the FDA and the people who approve the vaccine. Uh, the example that I just heard recently was from uh, Dr. Rachie on uh, Dr. Rachel Dunlop on the Skeptic uh, Zone podcast, and she was talking specifically about vaccination again. And she mentioned the rotavirus vaccine, and so I went and double-checked that one myself. And perfect example of how vaccines are tested and then the follow-up and the monitoring of vaccinations as they go out. And uh, I'll put a link to a really good example, an article about it in Paediatrics Journal. But basically, the rotavirus vaccine was put out and it was studied for about 15 years in clinical trials and so on, hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, and after about 27 con clinical trials in nine different countries over 15 years, it was given, it was submitted to the FDA, so the Food and Drug Administration in the US, for consideration. Um, and, you know, they set up a panel and whatnot and looked at it. They looked at all the research that was done, and they found in one of the trials, I think, um, there were five cases of uh, intersubception uh, inter among uh, 10,000 vaccines, three of which occurred in the week of post-vaccination. So that's when that massive um, uh, blockage of the bowel occurs. I think that's what that one is. Um, and then one of those cases was amongst the placebo. So they had three in the... Uh, in the trial group, and they had one in the placebo group. So again, that you're just going to go, oh, well, that's not anything beyond um, statistical likelihood, you know, that bigger group. Anyway, so they implemented the full-scale vaccination. Uh, it was implemented in the US, um, and then they basically put it out to the doctors. That, it, that was a, one of the things you had to monitor um, with the vaccinations to see if that was going to happen. So there was still monitoring going on afterwards. Anyway, after about 1.5 million doses of vaccine were um, given out, there were 15 more cases came up um, and they were reported to the Vaccine Adverse Effects Reporting System. So they've got a reporting system in place um, and that surveillance system detected that and then the actual pharmaceutical company that um, 
put out the vaccine voluntarily withdrew it themselves off the market a week before then the FDA said it should be withdrawn. So we've actually got a really clear case of how the vaccine approval process works and that it does work when you have clear evidence of there being some adverse side effect. Ironically, I found that information on an anti-vaccine website pointing out how evil pharmaceutical companies were for letting it get out in the first place because they had those three um, cases in the in the out of 15 years worth of trials. And you, you can't argue with people like that. They're just so dumb. Probably not dumb is the right... Yeah, no, they're dumb. Uh, a note I'd just add here is that the conspiracies are actually much more complex than conspiracy theorists believe. So I think the real case, I mean, our protagonist again says that the drug companies don't disclose all that they know uh, about side effects and so on, but it's, it's actually the, the, the opposite. The drug companies disclose all that they know about the effectiveness of their vaccines, the side effects, the um, other, other kinds of products they have um, coming online and so on. They disclose all of that, but they pretend that they hold back information. Yeah, that's a conspiracy. <laughs> Damn those cunning bastards. <laughs> yeah, and look, I don't want to defend the pharmaceutical industry in all seriousness because they they can be just as dodgy as, as anyone else. You know, they can make bullshit claims. They can, uh, you know, they do trials. They don't release results. I mean, just, just keep it to themselves and whatnot. Um, you know, so there's, there's nothing necessarily... Um, altruistic or great about the pharmaceutical industry either, but you've got to treat it based on evidence, simple as that. So you show me some actual evidence and I will believe you. Um, and knowing that there are completely um, independent researchers in universities and whatnot that look at this stuff as well, um, and, you know, and the fact that I know how, uh, you know, governments work and whatnot as well, there's just simply no way a government could cover anything up anyway, and, and why the hell would they? Um, it's just simply not as I always had a conspiracy people mate they couldn't cover up Bill Clinton in a little blue dress and the Secret Service wasn't good enough to keep that little blue dress so I don't think uh, they're going to be able to cover up anything much bigger than that um, anyway so I mean that that is the factoid propagation of the whole thing where it came from oh sorry and one of the other fallacy to talk about um, her whole thing is the fallacy of, of like browbeating and her, her tirade the way she delivers it is almost like this one tirade just going through the whole thing so it's a polemic so it's kind of you, if, if she was talking with somebody else it would definitely be browbeating but by herself you'd probably call it a polemic as well let's go back to where this whole anti-vaccine thing comes from and it does come from that Wakefield study uh, originally in, uh, no doubt hopefully most people who listen to this podcast have heard about it just a a quick local example, we've just had a measles outbreak up in Biwa, up on the Sunshine Coast, um, at a school there, uh, that actually had to, the kids who've had, don't have, can't prove they've been vaccinated, can't go to school, um, and they've got, guess what, 80% vaccination rate up on the Sunshine Coast, because, you know, it's a bunch of hippies that live up there. Surprise, surprise, we're getting outbreaks of diseases that just shouldn't exist in the modern world anymore. I found a good clip about that summarises, in a way, uh, Wakefield's dodginess, um, so I don't have to go through all the details myself. It's from uh, Keith Oberman, uh, who I believe is like a, a journalist-slash-polemicist uh, on, in, on MN, MNS, or MSNBC in the US, so I'm not very familiar with him, but I'm sure our US uh, listeners are. Um, but anyway, he, he does apparently a thing that he calls worst person in the world, and he, and he judges different people, and he's number one... Uh, probably a couple of weeks ago, I don't know how long ago it was, but it would have been fairly recent, was Andrew Wakefield. So let's have a listen to him bagging the crap out of Andrew Wakefield, which I certainly thoroughly enjoy. Yeah. 
But our winner is Dr. Andrew Wakefield. He is the doctor, almost single-handedly responsible for the paranoia in some parents worldwide for a decade now about letting their kids get the MMR vaccination, measles, mumps, and rubella. His research, published in February 1998 in the British medical journal The Lancet, suggested that the MMR triple vaccine was a likely cause of autism via some new kind of inflammatory bowel disease that the vaccinations induced with symptoms appearing within days. He apparently made it up. The Times of London has obtained the actual hospital medical records of the vaccinated kids on which Wakefield based his conclusions. There were only 12 kids in the study, and their ailments, as described in the article, were different than the ones in their hospital records. Worse still, Wakefield left out the fact that in several of the 12 cases, there had been concerns before the vaccinations that the kids were not healthy enough to be vaccinated. And the hospital records show nearly all of the kids had no bowel troubles at all, while Wakefield's article said they all did. Dr. Andrew Wakefield, who may have put millions of kids at unnecessary risk for measles, mumps, rubella, and who knows what else, today's worst person in the world. Yeah, so that sums up. It's not may have put them at risk. I mean, people died since, you know, because of measles and whatnot, and, um, and some of the other ones you can get too. You know, that sums it up when those media-seeking people start spreading a factoid. It can actually become really dangerous sometimes, depending on what the factoid is. Okay, so let's move on to more Jenny Barnett. I'm going to play you another five minutes or so of her, and let's see if we can spot some of the fallacies in this one. Um... It started off, I went on a short course about, um, it was a choice, uh, making a choice about vaccination. And it was run by homeopaths. But why, why did you go on that course in the first place? Because I, I had a feeling inside, I inherently knew that it must be wrong to be putting toxins and poisonous material into a young baby's body. Right. Simple as that. Right. Mercury, formaldehyde, you know... Live viruses are cured in monkeys' kidneys. How can that be right for your child? Um, but I just knew from the beginning it's the wrong But this thing is fascinating. Tracy, let me ask you this. When measles, if there's a case of measles at the kids' school, yeah. or if there's a case of mumps or chicken pox, what do you do? Because I say, great, come on, kids, let's go get it, because... Children get childhood diseases for a reason. It's to boost their immune system so that later on in life, when they come in contact with those diseases, it doesn't affect them so severely. And that is why they're called childhood diseases. The only reason children get really, really ill and perhaps, you know, suffer serious side effects are, A, if their immune system is not strong enough to fight off the virus, or B, if they're being suppressed by drugs or or in some other way, you know, suppressant drugs or given too much antibiotics or... From, they, wanted to, they wanted to banish measles uh, from Europe by 2010. There are many other ways of doing it rather than jabbing people. And I If you scaremonger, people don't know how to make clear decisions about something. Do you want your kid to have an inoculation or don't you? Don't make... Afternoon, Jenny. Hi, lo um, lovely. 
I'm not a medical expert, but I listen to the radio, and I listen to LBC, along with your competitors, quite a lot. And every single medical expert that you've ever had on LBC has always said that the NMR is a good thing, and that all of the evidence against it has been refuted. Yeah. So... Does that make it right? Well, yeah, I pretty much think it does, actually, yeah. How come? Well, you sound like... Uh, when you talk about... I'm getting you when you when you say um, my four kids or this lady's four kids were fine because they didn't have it. Mm. You sound like one of these people who said my auntie Flo lived to be 110 and she smoked a hundred cigarettes a day. There's always going to be someone, but in general. But auntie, but wasn't Auntie Flo allowed to do that? And was yes, she? She was, but would she have done it? And would you have let her do it? And would the world have been happy for her to do it if we knew now? What we knew yeah, then. If we knew then, what we know now. But that's, that, but that's precisely why I didn't want my kids or my granddaughter, and I don't know what Zoe's choice is going to be, but that's precisely because we do know what we know now, that I don't want to go in any, go anywhere near drugs. You know, I'm 60 in a couple of weeks, well, about eight weeks' time, and people say to me, oh, would you go on HRT? And would you do this? And would you do that? No. Would I have plastic surgery? No. And I'm not unusual in that, John. It's just that the media, the media and the drug companies would like to make me unusual. But do you not feel that all this information that's out there, yeah, it is being weighted in a certain direction? Um, yeah, to frighten us. No, I don't think it is to frighten you. The one of the guys on James O'Brien's um, show this week mm. had written a book called Bad Science. Right. And... He went on about all the things, like your previous lady was a homeopath, and all due respect, the, the guy talking about bad science was talking about all kinds of things which people regard as remedies, and he as a doctor was laughing at the, the um... Listen, let me put this to you. John, let me put this to you, and it's a good point, and I take your point. But let me put this to you. My nan, if you had an ear infection, would have put salt in a sock, heated it up, somehow because she didn't have microwaves, and stick it behind the ear, and good golly, Miss Molly, that ear infection would, would slow down in some way. Now, there's not a lot of science in it, but it blooming will work. Okay, so we'll look at that clip uh, in our next podcast. Well, not our next podcast, our podcast from the next podcast, because... We're doing a, basically our website is hosting the next Skeptic Circle, which is like a bi-weekly um, uh, um, blog carnival for all sceptical bloggers, and we're hosting it this week. Um, and so what we're going to do is have an another podcast coming out straight after this one, a couple of days after on Thursday, uh, which we will be talking about all the different posts that have been submitted for the upcoming Skeptic Circle. So, and of course, guess what? There actually is a post all about Andrew Wakefield as well from Bob Carroll of the Skeptics Dictionary. Uh, so that'll be our next podcast. And then the one after that, we will look at the um, more Jenny Barnett uh, spot that fallacy because there's so much material from such a wonderful woman. But anyway, hope you enjoyed the podcast and we will, you will hear from us again uh, in a couple of days and then in a fortnight after that. So it's goodbye from me, Theo. And it's goodnight from me, Ramon. That'll be explained to you next podcast. We're going to forget to explain that to the next podcast. I think you should just explain it to them now. I think we've talked about it a bit before about our ordering coffee. I think you may be right, and I think my um, Ramon has been <laughs> has, has sort of become a bit of a legend locally, so people don't believe me anyway.
I think I actually have explained it before that I give a false name when I go to a coffee lounge and they ask you your first name. I, I regard that as an impertinence. I'm an Australian. Um, I'm proud of my Australian culture, which regards first names as an impertinence. Um, any interpersonal distance less than two or three hundred metres is an infringement of my human rights. And I, if anybody looks as though they might be going to be aggressive towards me, I punch them first, just in case. That's part of my Australian culture. I'm proud of it, and I'm sticking to it. Well, it was you that introduced me to that ancient martial art of lap dock, where you walk around with a bit of wood, and then you just hit everyone first, just in case they're going to get you. <laughs> Actually, that reminds you, anyone who follows me on Twitter, hopefully you saw me, um, I put up a link to this awesome guy who got kidnapped by aliens, and um, he and they taught him the art of cosmic fighting, and I <laughs> And he, he was kidnapped by aliens for 11 years, and they taught him the art of cosmic fighting. I'll have to, have to, it's called cosmic fighting. And, and as one of my colleagues at work said, what, you've been kidnapped for 11 years, and all they can do is teach you how to shove a little better. <laughs> Which, and they come back with, I'm like, what, they didn't invent phases yet, you know? <laughs> anyway, it was, it was. They, get, they have bigger sticks with bigger nails in them, I know. <laughs> Soon you'll have bigger sticks with bigger nails in them. <laughs> It'll be a nail race. Now I'm going to have to find down that bloody... That seems to put me on insert it. <laughs> Alright, we're out of here. So that was a rebroadcast episode of Hunting Humbug 101. For more information about the show and the book, Humbug the Skeptic's Field Guide to Spotting Fallacies and Deceptive Arguments, head to www.skepticsfieldguide.net. <laughs>